Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Jay Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Today, we are recording episode 27. I'm very grateful to have many guests who are willing to share the adversity, tools, and a gift that came from the adversity. Today, I have a wonderful guest from Vancouver, Canada. And before that, I would like to introduce my book. It's called A Gift from Adversity, the same title as my show. And this book came out in 2020. This is subtitled Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. I have experienced all of this growing up in Japan. This book is available on Amazon. And after I published my book, I had a lot of people told me of their child sex abuse, domestic violence, which I had no idea they had. And I had people contacted me from many places, and especially people who are going through crisis. I've gotten calls and emails from it. I felt very compelled after getting these feedbacks, after I shared my story in an adversity, that I wanted to create a platform where people can specifically talk about adversity and tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So today, Hebe Bartlett is going to share her story. And I'm very excited to have her. Hi, Hebe. Thank you so much for being on A Gift from Adversity tonight. Oh, no. Thank you, Jerry. It's my pleasure. And you've got the perfect last name. <laughs> thank you. So, Hebe, can you please tell our audience your name and what you do? Um, my name is Hebe Bartlett. Um, I am the founder of the World Love Bank. It is an app, a health and wellness app that allows people to share and exchange and as well save love as their most valuable asset. So how can people find more about World Love Bank? Do you have a website and then the app that people can download? Where? Absolutely. So theworldlovebank.com, you can go onto the website and find out all about how the World Love Bank started and, and our goals, as well as right away, you can download the app on Google Play or on the in the app store. So you just click the link and go ahead and download it and you can start saving love as your most, you know, your most precious asset. And yeah, learn more about it as well. You can follow us on Instagram at hashtag uh, World Love Bank. So download from Google Play, and it's an app. It's an app store, yeah. Can you tell us what does this app do? Absolutely. So the app is created. It's called the World Love Bank. So as a bank, it allows you to create messages for those you love. And when you receive them, you can save them into your savings account. So it keeps loving messages all bundled in one safe place. It's banked because it is the most valuable thing we have, as well as it has a joint account where all the users can go in and listen to the words, I love you. 
from all the different other users around the world who have deposited it. So it's anonymous. So you could listen to a global um, compilation of I love you, I love you, I love you. And every I love you is an individual person committing their unconditional love to you. So you can listen to the global one. And as we build it up, you'll get the different countries. So people will hear it from Australia with people with accents from Australia or from the US and from all around the world. And there's that and there's a checking account where you check in your emotions and then you can actually exchange other anonymous audios to bank for words of encouragement for other people. That is incredible. So World Love Bank. One word. App. So a oh, one word. Okay, got it. Now, when uh, people, how, do you know how many people are using it? Do you have any statistics? Oh, right now we just launched um, on February 14th, so Valentine's Day. So we have about 80 people downloaded it, but we've had some beta testing beforehand. So we're, we have compilations already in the bank for people to enjoy. So we're just really just fresh starting it. How are you spreading the word out about the World Love Bank app? Well, um, I have been doing podcasts uh, and doing Facebook ads, and I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups. So it's, I believe that um, there there's different demographics, but I believe everyone is is uh, excited about it and wants to know how to you know how that they could you know save love. So we just are we're sharing it through podcasts. We're sharing it through. Um, at Facebook ads, Facebook groups, and uh, Instagram. And we're just hoping to create partnerships with um, different groups as well that we support. So, so we support um, women in recovery. We, we, we support mental health. We did a big event for Mental Health Day. And uh, we're hoping to continue doing um, events in communities and as well cancer recovery. So, I mean, anyone who's facing uh, any type of um, illness, you know, critical illness. We we want them to know that they're that that love is is valuable and that it can also help to heal them. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So, people, check out World Love Bank app on Google Play. So now I want to jump into our main topic, which is the adversity. Can you share your adversity with the audience? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, there, you know, I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, but I was originally born in Cape Town, South Africa. And my parents are Arabic, English, and German, and Malaysian, as well as African. And when I came to Canada, I didn't quite fit into any one culture, and I always felt that I was always trying to be somebody else, trying to fit into a different culture. And I think that affected me being the youngest of five and not connecting with uh, other people as well. Um, and then with my adversity, it, it just grew from getting involved with the wrong crowd in high school at some points. And then um, I had lost my brother to um, an addiction and that was really a difficult time for me. Because, you know, growing up from a, a culture where we didn't have aunts and uncles, it was just our family, um, to lose one of those key people 
it, it just shattered, um, you know, my, my sense of security. Well, I'm very sorry to hear about the loss of your brother. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's where it started. And I mean, if you, you know, we want to talk about adversity, it was, you know, as we went on from there, I, um, I ended up having, um, a very, um, difficult divorce. And when I had had the divorce in 2012, I went through the emotional, spiritual, financial bankruptcy that, you know, divorces can, can take on someone. And it was at that time where, um, where, you know, you had to decide, like, it was just, it was really tough. Yeah. You know, I had two children and you just have to decide to, to just grow and change and to trust the universe. And so, um, I think as I, I mean, there are so many different challenges that I face in adversity. Like it's, as you had shared, you've had a few different moments, you know, different uh, uh, stories of the adversity that you face in your life. And sometimes we just can't recognize them right away, but we just learn to grow from them. And, and most recently, um, I lost both my parents, 2019 and 2020. So, you know, loss of people that you love is, is can be a real challenge in life. I'm very sorry to hear this. And thank you so much for sharing your adversity. Let's go back to your childhood a little bit. That you mentioned a lot of adversities that went through and one of the thing about fitting into new environment and then being multicultural race and not having way too many people around you as a child how did it affect you like were you bullied isolated like depressed, like, you know, do you recall some of the feelings? Um, well, because I, I didn't quite fit in, there are, there are different communities, right? So I happen to be in one community where there's a lot of Eastern, East Asians, uh, South Asians, I should say. And, um, and in this particular neighborhood where I lived, um, I just faced racism. They just, you know, people, adults would yell, me, you know, I don't want to even say the words, but they're, you know, they're to do with people's religion and their culture, no, not very nice words. And I remember being called that when I was in grade, um, I guess it was grade six and seven and it was horrible. It just made you feel so small and unwelcome. And, and, you know, you look around and you wonder what's wrong, what's wrong with you that you don't, that you're not good enough. And, you know, then I went to a different community and, um, went to a different school and, and, you know, I was always trying to fit in, right. Because I, I wasn't, um, I'm South African, but I, you know, people didn't really know about South Africa and it does, it has its own different culture, but, we're so mixed, you know, um, you just face this, um, that feeling of never being good enough. And I, you know, sometimes we do it to ourselves and you, you, you know, but when you're a child and someone oppresses you and, and says those things, you like, you don't, parents don't think to, 
to, to give you counseling or to, to help you out. They're just like, oh, forget about it. Just, you know, move on. And it's hard when you're a child and you just always feel a little less than. So, you know, you overcompensate by getting involved in, you know, uh, outside influences that, you know, kids shouldn't. And I did that and, you know, hung out with the wrong crowd and, and some of the, you know, terrible things happened in high school that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. And, you know, you just learn to hide yourself, stop caring and stop to like, you know, put on this other persona. And I think I grew up that way, always trying to be tougher and stronger than I was. And, you know, that little child inside was always hiding and wanting to be loved and, and never really quite connecting. And then I was wondering if your brother went through a similar experience. Um, yes, I, I believe so because when we had come from South Africa, he was 13 and, um, and when he, when we came here, you know, fitting in was, was difficult for him. And as I said before, um, you know, he had struggled or maybe I did not just share this, but he did struggle with addiction. So, you know, that's where we, you know, you overcompensate and you get involved in, in things just to you know, to make yourself not care, make yourself fit in. And I believe he struggled through all of those same feelings. And how you have a way of bringing things out, people, don't you, Jerry? One more time. I said, you have a way of bringing things out in people. I love it. Oh, oh thank you. Well, um, how old was he when he passed? He was 35. And one of the things that um, had happened was uh, he had happened to call my mom's house and I hadn't spoken to him for a while. And he had called and, you know, he's my big brother. And I just was like, I hadn't talked to him a while. I said, you know, I love you. He's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, no, I love you. He's like, no, you don't. And being his baby sister, I was like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I just kept saying it. I remember saying it 15 times to him. And then finally he said, I love you back to me. And then we hung up and I just thought I would see him again. And I didn't get to see him again. And then three months later he died and he left behind his three-year-old son who would never hear those words. And that was, that was the saddest thing knowing, you know, both of us being parents and, you know, it's, so important to to have that support for our children forever and, and i just always felt like i mean i wish i could have heard his voice over again and hear um you know have his son my nephew hear those words when he was having a tough time but that wasn't the case I'm very sorry to hear that. I am lost of a word and I can't even imagine that last conversation that you had. And I have son and daughter and they're very close right now. And, you know, it's when I heard about your adversity prior to my show, I was thinking about you and your brother and I was thinking about my son and my daughter 
and the bond that they have between them and then the struggles that they already faced. Unfortunately, they are 11 and 5. And to lose that, I can't even imagine. Um. And uh, I'm very sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but that's, it was a gift. Well, I'm not going to talk about gifts yet, but knowing that I was able to hear those words and knowing that I said those words uh, was very powerful in, in my grieving process. I see. And then you mentioned a little bit about divorce and bankruptcy, not just financially, but emotionally and everything. Would you talk, yes, would you tell a little bit about it? Would you tell our audience about why um, you um, sure? So I don't want to like well with the divorce, it was just um you know, I think as women, we tend, not all of us, but um, I did. I, I tended to leave all the financial um, situate, you know, all the financial means and things like that with my my um, ex. And um, he just said, you know, just raise the kids, everything will be fine. And um, and by the time it was all said and done, you know, I had to claim bankruptcy. And it was, you know, when I grew up in it. It, well, where we were living, it was like a white picket fence and everything looked really good on the outside. And then when you, you know, you wipe the slate clean and you're, and you're struggling and, you know, you know, we got to the point where, um, you know, I had nothing. I was, it was about, you know, whether or not I was going to be able to put food on the plates for my kids. And I remember, you know, having to, you know, really drop the whole ego and, and, and like I was cleaning houses. I, you know, I would work three jobs just, just to make sure that I could get what my kids needed. I remember having to apply for all the different, um, you know, the different communities have different support networks to, so that the kids could still play their sports. And I just, you know, I just had to hold my head up high and, and take the kids to school and, and, you know, I, you don't really share it with other people, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. And, um, there was the, you know, there was a point where it was like, what is this all for? But when you look at your children and you see how much love that they, it's such, um, unconditional love that, you know, that they have and what you have for them, it's just that you would do anything for them. And you just, you just find the strength. And you do it. And when it came to spiritually, um, I just had to turn it over because, um, you know, I always knew that there was like a higher power. Um, my, uh, my father's Muslim. My mother was Christian. And they always said to me, you know what? You follow the Ten Commandments. You're going to be okay. You, you just treat people right, you know, and there's always going to be, you know, you know, right from wrong. And you do the next right thing. And um, there were times where, like, instead of, you know, 
asking for material things. It was just, you know what, like, just show me the next right thing to do. And it just took like, it just took so much to not ask, but just to be present. And when I started to do that, um, things changed in my life. And, um, and from, from going where, you know, um, where you feel like you're bankrupt spiritually, it's like, you realize that it's just, it's a matter of, of how you look at things. It's always there. It's always there. If you, you know, open yourself up. And so I found that I was able to gain so much more self-awareness and so much more um, strength when I turned it over and I, I basically surrendered to like a universal love and a universal um, belief that everything is going to be okay. And that we all have struggles, but if you look for the lessons and you try your best to do the next right thing, it'll always work out. So just to share it with you, I divorced twice and then I um, have small children and my mm -hmm. kids were three and eight at the time when I became a single mom. And it was, it has been very challenging. I would say I went through all this child sex abuse, domestic violence, homelessness, bullying, but being a single mom is one of the toughest things you don't realize how many of us a single mom or single dad that are going through this and one of the challenge i think maybe you can agree with me is we have no break absolutely mm -hmm. zero. and we tend to forget about self-care and self-love in the process and then we just like have absolutely no place to break down <laughs> and it's a cycle and you know, there is actually no break. And that's, I think, I I found that to be the hardest thing. You cannot just turn and check out and then say, okay, bye guys. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. So I would say surviving through similar thing, um, especially the divorce part and the financial difficulties, my car got repossessed after the divorce and then I had so much debt my community rallied around me some of my friends rented a theater the first Christmas after the divorce after I became single mom and they raised mm -hmm. over three thousand dollars in one night and then gave the check and lots of presents to my children and that was 2019 but I worked really hard. And last year, between me and my children, we were able to sponsor three children's Christmas wish, uh, wishing tree, and then we were able to buy a present for three children. So we were all proud, very proud. So, Hebe, I would like to switch the question to the tools. You a little bit mentioned about shifting your mindset, but I like this part of my show a lot because every guest who came so far has so many modality that they tried, but they shared the tools that they used to overcome adversity and 
all of my guests were very different and unique. I know you've tried different things to overcome the adversity, but what was the things that you used that you thought it was the best worked? Um, for myself, it was, um, it was, it was turning things over to uh, a higher power and, and really learning to be present. And, um, and I, and I think for me, it, I, I believe that there's like a, a spiritual universe out there. So I did a lot. So I did a lot of the, um, listening to the Wayne Dyers on YouTube and listening to all these different, um, mindset, I wouldn't say coaches, but, um, uh, um, videos just to, to listen and get the vibrations and things like that. And, um, I remember surrendering. I remember asking the universe, just like, use me. And I put up my hands and it was like, I had met all these people and I started really looking up and being present. And I said, you know, um, please let me be of service. And I remember one of these moments where I was going for a job interview and I hadn't, um, it was for one job. It was for real estate. And I, had the experience in the past. It was just to be like a property manager. And I'd said, please don't let anything distract me from my spiritual growth. And I put up my hands. I heard from someone else, a Mason, a Freemason. He said, when you, when you reach out and you pray, you put your hands up and you just make yourself available. And so I said that, and, um, I went for this job interview and the gentleman interviewed me and he said, you know, I would hire you for this position. However, I own a spiritual company. And how would you like to be my marketing director for the spiritual company? And I was like, wow, fantastic. And that allowed me to enjoy all these different modalities. And I learned how to open my, myself up to more, to like cacao and to um, different types of um, healing modalities. And so my, my um, gift was to learn to trust that the universe is always going to answer if you ask. And to kind of step aside and, and try to get out of out of my own way, and I have not just um, experienced that one time; I experienced it all the time. Another time, I was not working, and I had met someone three months before, and I was like, "Just you know, let me be of service to someone else." And I got a call saying, "Would you please?" go to um, El Salvador and, and be my eyes and ears. They were sponsoring an, an, a nonprofit in LA that, um, that helped at orphanages. And all of a sudden I was allowed to go and be of service there. And I didn't have a job. It was, I was available at that point. My children were going back and forth between me and their dad. And I was there and I came back and all of a sudden my eyes were able to be like, now there's so many more opportunities. So it's about keeping your eyes and ears open and, and, um, and looking for lessons and learning to change and grow and being of service to others. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, very valuable. And then surrendering yourself to the universe is very courageous. I don't think, no, I don't think many people understand what that means in, in a way that when you have traumatic experience experiences that 
you basically lost control you got violated in your case you got discriminated and then your self-esteem was destroyed and you crave for that love and attention and stability to fill the void so you kind of become a little bit controlling of your day your time and then to surrender yourself and then let it go and then to trust in something else whether it's religion or universe or spirituality or anything that is courage and that takes bravery because first of all you have to recognize it but second of all you have fear what was going to happen and to surrender i wrote a song called surrender last year and it's really hard to let it go sometimes of what you went through but once you learn to surrender and let it go i experienced that shift as well That's amazing because I think that I think that sometimes we tend to want to hold on to it because um, as a you know as a survivor of abuse or a survivor of um, discrimination and other other um, you know relationship um, abuse or alcohol recovery it's it's always about um, learning to to grow and sometimes there you just have to accept past and let it go not that it and and um and like i said look up and and when you feel like like where you are today and the gifts you have for everybody to to hold a book and coaching and and this podcast all these things you said that's not coaching but speaking i mean you would never be able to share and help others except for the fact that you you were able to go through it and survive you know and and now you're going to be able to thrive because of it you're going to be able to grow and you know help others it's like you you become a beacon of light for others and that's what we all do if if we're not afraid to say you know I have had challenges I've gone through these terrible things but um you know I know I'll get through it and it'll grow and you know whatever you you know you focus on and look there's always going to be a solution there's always going to be an answer and sometimes i don't even know what the answer is i just have to get out of my own way yes i really appreciate this conversation hebe and can you please tell our audience how world love bank maybe came out of your adversity absolutely so um because of the situation i had with my brother and because i got to say i love you to him so many times i also recognized how difficult it was for him to accept that somebody loved him you know for me to have to say it over and over and over again until finally it was that one time that one voice and the way i said it that he was like okay i'm loved and he said i love you back um that was one of the reasons because i wanted to make sure that anyone anywhere could access the words i love you and that's one of that's how the global joint account works in the world love bank 
But then the fact that his son, who was three at the time, would never hear those words. I also wanted to make sure that people had one safe place to store and save their words. I love you. And um, how to get through a bad day or like um, bedtime stories, whatever it is that they want to share for their children. Because life is short. Life is temporary. We never know. We could walk out and get hit by a car, unfortunately. Um, you know, we've had COVID. My, my father died of um, brain and lung, ca lung cancer in 2019. And my mother in 2020 of loneliness because she was stuck in a home when she had no access to anyone. We could only wave to her through the window. And she, she just felt so alone that she ended up passing. And um, that's why I created a bank so that you would be able to, on purpose, intentionally save those memories and messages. Because when somebody passes or, you know, you're not looking through your phone or your computer, like where is that message or that words of I love you? You don't know where to find them. But this, the bank, the World Love Bank, makes it intentional that you would want to say those words. Like my mom had these amazing stories. She grew up in District 6 in South Africa, and she used to tell us these funny stories. So I knew I was building this, so I recorded them in advance so that I would have them for my kids. And my son, who's 15, I've got two, he said to me, Mom, please read me my bedtime stories and save them in the bank because I know that I want them for my kids so that he could have me telling those bedtime stories to his kids. So the World Love Bank is there for everyone to be able to, one, if you don't know how, if you don't hear the words, I love you, you can come to the bank and you can hear it. Unconditional, it's anonymous, so no one's being judged by how they look, you know, culturally or anywhere else because it's anonymous. You just hear the audio from the audio bank, but then you also have your safe place to store it. And those are all private. And I think, you know, I think love is so valuable. It is so valuable and it's priceless. And if something were to happen, you would pay anything to just hear that voice one more time. And I think it's so important that we, we, we value love because that was the one thing is that making the intangible tangible. It has to be worth saving. And that's why it's in a bank. It's really inspiring. I like the word that you say, intangible to tangible. Yeah. Um, I just want to share a quick story with you and with our audience about tangible outcome and tangible mm -hmm measurable outcome. So I ran nonprofit for 12 years teaching music to juvenile offenders in the detention program. I was a president and founder. I started when I was 26 years old. So along the way, I learned about grant writing and academic side of research, hard data, anecdotal data. And they use this word that you just said, tangible. It's tangible, measurable outcome. So what it is, is intangible. Like say you play piano and you are able to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then we call it tangible because it's measurable and it's outcome. And then the research shows this outcome builds self-esteem and resilience. And 
lower recidivism. So I just wanted to share it with you. So I think Hebe is, uh, I'm not sure what happened, the internet connection. So we'll see if she's able to come back to live um, with us. There you go. We lost you a second, but I think you're back. Can you hear me? Sorry, I just missed the last part because I think technical difficulty. No problem. So Hebe, let's move on to the last part of the question, which is a gift. I, I can so hear you. I can't see you, but I can hear you. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, so we talked you. about it tangible and you were explaining it. Yes. Can you hear me? So I think um, she's still having a little bit difficulty on internet connection. Oh, here you go. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so no, no, this is a life. So I, I want to hear the story. I want to hear the story. I have it. Oh no, no. So I was basically saying that uh, when I was running nonprofit and teaching music to juvenile offenders, we use mm -hmm. this word tangible measurable outcome when we teach piano say kids can play twinkle twinkle little star and they can see it they can hear it and it's an outcome and then the research shows that tangible measurable outcome builds self-esteem self-confidence sense of ownership and that would build resilience therefore we can lower the recidivism so they don't come back to the detention program when they get mm -hmm. released. So that was the entire goal. So the reason why I mentioned this was you use the word intangible to tangible because I love you can be like just said, but now your app is tangible. You can see it's measurable and it's an outcome that you can see it in right there. And it's very effective and inspirational. And I like the idea that People can access to these stories or affirmation and love from all over the places that especially during and after the pandemic of this loneliness, people getting bullied and people getting abused. I think more than ever, self-love, self-care are talked about. Mental health is getting more talked about, which is great. I just recently mm -hmm. wrote an article about Student Alliance on Mental Health uh, group, a club that started in the local high school. And uh, how the founder of the club, high school student, did not think that maybe it would attract a member, but now it's like 40 members. And it's universal language that we don't talk about. And there's a stigma. And that's part of the reason I wanted to start this show. I'm grateful to have this conversation from all over the world. I had a guest from Germany, like uh, Scotland. I have guests coming from Denmark and then from all over the place now, Canada. And more and more 
I talked about adversity in tools, I feel it's universal language. However, there were not so much aid, especially our generation. When we were growing up, our parents weren't aware of how to heal the mental health, how to deal with mental health. But instead, they said, oh, just forget about it. Mm -hmm. And that would scar, we call it emotional injury. So 51A is a DCF term that when kids are verbally abused, it creates emotional injury, just like a scar. How do you heal that? And we don't talk about it, even as a parent or as a educator it's getting more and more talked about but i wish when you were growing up when your brother was growing up when i was growing up i wish these tools and the conversation were available to us oh completely we don't have you know now we just have to do the best we can to share that with our children and give them those tools right because they are the next generation of parents and there is, um, there's always that saying that if you don't parent on purpose, you'll parent by default. So have you heard that? I used to have a parenting company years ago. <laughs> and uh, and it, we taught parents the natural, uh, the natural stages children went through. And what happens is if, if we don't um, recognize and pre- like have a, pl- a parenting plan on how to address situations with our kids, keep communicating with them openly, um, we might naturally by default repeat what our parents did, not to the extent of abuse, but perhaps just, you know, negative commentary. Things, you know, you ever hear people say, oh, my mom used to say that, and now I'm repeating it back to my children, right? Um, so one of the things I do with my kids is we every day, I always make sure that we eat together at the end of the day and we talk and then we have like, um, we have one of these Hazleton books and it's like, you know, every day it has, um, it has a spiritual kind of um, lesson and like an affirmation. And we just read it. We pass the book around every day. It'll be a different person gets to read it. And it just keeps us talking about it. And because I have two boys, I talked to, them about um sexuality and and the body science when they were young so it wasn't offensive and it wasn't like it would not the not that sexuality is offensive but like uh, or talking about a uh, sex is not offensive it's sexual education but i wanted to be the first one to talk about it so we called it body science and that's what we did so that my boys you know there's they're 16 and 20 or 15 and 20 they can t- they can talk to me about anything. They they're comfortable, you know, be respectful to women and and the, you know, the different um, stages that we grow through, from teenagers up because those are now going to be their friends, their girlfriends, you know, perhaps their wives, um, and they understand that more because it's we're always keeping open communication. So if we don't plan on per if we don't parent on purpose, we can parent by default by doing something that our parents did in behaviors. So that's a good way to change up and, you know, um, and help grow a better community of, of people. Thank you for sharing that. So let's ask you about the last question, which is a gift that came from the adversity. So how, what would you say the gift that came from your adversity? Okay. Um, well, I wanted to share 
as we said, and I had shared that there's many different adversities we go through in life. So I had mentioned that my father died in 2019 of um, lung cancer and brain cancer, that my mom died in 2020. My mom passed away on my birthday in 2020. And that was when I started working on the love bank. And um, I had already started saving messages. Um, and, the, and what I had to do was I had to decide on whether I was going to ever enjoy a birthday again. And so I said, if the universe could open up heaven's gates on, the, on my birthday to welcome my mom, then it's a very, very special day. And I chose that. And so the gift I find with adversity is no matter what I go through, I have a choice in how I'm going to frame it because it's my life and I can look for a lesson and I can make a difference. And so because of that, I built the World Love Bank even more quickly because of that. So all these adversities I've went through, it's because I know how much I love this world. And I know that my love is no better than anyone else's, but I need everybody to collaborate and bring it together. And I just wanted to have a safe place for everybody to be able to share that. And that's my gift, the gift from adversity to the world. And I think that it was a gift because um, no matter what, I know that I can get it through anything because I'm willing to be of service to others. And that's through love. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, Hibi. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And then people, please check out World Love Bank app on Google Play. Or and on the App Store. App Store too? Yes, both. Oh, great. Wonderful. I would love to download it. And I appreciate you for sharing your story. But not only that, creating this app from your adversity and your mission and then your kindness to spread this love and save. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like I, I'm blessed to have spent this time with you and I know that we will stay connected because um, I feel your heart and I know this is such a gift. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yumi. You're so, so kind. And I just want to give you one last word to our audience. Do you have any message to our audience? I love you. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you again. And thank you. Our, thank you to our audience for tuning into A Gift from Adversity. This was episode 27, and I am booked all the way to May, and I'm so appreciative for all the guests who are willing to share their adversity tools and then a gift. See you next time. <laughs>